want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. I think I told Jesse 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter number 7. So uh, uh, if you will turn there with me, 2 Corinthians, chapter number 7. And I'm going to read verse number 1. And then we are going to jump from there uh, as the Lord directs us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. Here's what the scripture says. It says, therefore, having these promises. We're going to pick up the last part of chapter 6 here in just a few moments. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I'm going to take that scripture and I'm going to, I'm going to open up tonight a series that I'm going to talk to you about what it is that we believe as a church, as a church body, what it is that the word of God teaches us about the understanding of the concept of holiness. So we're going to jump into this, and I know even to say the word, there are some people ready to just turn it off when you say the word holiness, but I'm believing we're going to hear some things that's going to get a hold of our hearts and our lives. How many of you believe our world needs to have an understanding of what the scripture teaches? We don't need more of the inputs of man. We don't need a preacher to stand up and preach on my hobby horse and my pet peeves of things and, and, and call that holiness. We need an understanding of what the Word teaches us. And that's what I'm going to endeavor to do over the next couple of weeks is be very, hopefully I always am, but on this, this series I'm going to attempt to be very biblically uh, strong so that most of what we're going to do is going to be looking at scriptures as we talk about this concept of holiness. I believe we are living in a moment. I believe we are living in a day where the the church, and I know we're on a Wednesday night and you're here on a Wednesday night. Uh, that's why I ask you to share this video. Um, but um, we need an understanding of what the Bible teaches us about holiness because we are living in a moment and a day where we must pursue holiness. And we, 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 have, we have come to a time where the church world, and, and this is really not as much a message for the world, okay? Because the world lost in sin obviously has no desire to understand about the holiness of God. That, that takes, it takes God getting hold of a heart. But for believers, we should have a desire to understand what holiness is. So we're going to talk about that in the next couple weeks here is we're just going to talk about this concept of holiness. So I'm going to read that verse again. Verse 1, therefore, 2 Corinthians 7, therefore, having these promises. So let's back up. And let's catch what promises that, the, that, that Paul is talking to us here about uh, by the Holy Spirit giving him the unction. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. We're just going to take our time. We're, we're not going to get in a rush because I can always just stop whenever we're ready to stop and pick up the next week. So we're not, we're not going to rush our way through this. But 2 Corinthians 6 and verse number 11. He's writing to the church of Corinth. How many understand the New Testament was written to literal, actual churches. Uh, uh, the epistles were written to churches. They were letters that Paul predominantly, there were others in there, but predominantly Paul was writing to churches that he either started or that he had come in contact with, and he is teaching them, and he is encouraging them, and he is challenging them. And so he's writing to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, but not only is this to literal churches in that day, the Word of God is written to the church of every day. It's written now, it's for the world, for anyone that will have ears to hear as the Holy Spirit will open our eyes and enlighten us to understand. But how many know the Scripture teaches us that the world will not understand the things of God because they have to be revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. And, and so the world is brought by the Holy Spirit to salvation first, then to be disciplined in understanding in the Word of God. But to the church, those that call Christ our Savior, those that, that are living a life that we, we say we want to be pleasing unto the Lord and a life that's been transformed by the Spirit of God, brought into the kingdom of God by grace and through by faith that, that we have brought in upon the, the crucifixion, the bloodshed of Jesus Christ there at the cross and then the resurrection and the ascension. We're about to celebrate all of those things coming up. But for the church... Then, then we need to understand what it is that Scripture teaches us about, about our life, about living. I, I think we, we have moved away from practical teaching about Christian living. We are in a very superficial moment when it comes to the church. We're in a moment that is a moment that worship is... Uh, predominant in the church world. Worship is, I mean, that, you, you can go, there was a day and there was a time when if you wanted to have real spirited, lively worship, you had to go find a, a Pentecostal, a charismatic body of believers so you could get that real spirited worship. But that's not the day we're living in now. The day we're living in now is everywhere you go. Worship is in the forefront. Worship is is spirited, is lively in, in most all churches. And, and, and worship is really put out there. But that doesn't mean it's always anointed, by the way. It just means that it is, it is a, a lively experience that people are going to. The experience of worship is popular. And let me, let me clarify that. Because worship is really something that, that, that is what you're offering to God. So not everything that calls itself worship is truly worshiping God. Okay. So, but, but the concept, the experience of an encounter that's called praise and worship is popular in the church world today. The, a, a moment of, of whatever the message might be and then encouraging people to pray and, and turn their life to Jesus is preached today, is taught today. 
to the church. You're going to hear that. You're going to be told that. But what is left out of too many, and I'm not, I'm not going to spend much time at all talking about the, the problems, okay? I'm, I'm just trying to set this up because we're going to get into the Word and find all the answers. That's, that's what the Word brings us. But, but for too many, what's left out is we do the popular things, but we are not teaching the practical things. Christian living. What does it mean to live a Christian life? And I think because that is not being, being driven from a biblical perspective and put into the daily life of the believer, we, we are reaping what we have sown. And, and that is we are reaping Christians that are craving experiences but not desiring daily living with Jesus. Amen. I mean, if you have, if you have a certain worship teams come in that's popular uh, around the world right now and, and, you know, are doing that and they're very good at what they do, you can fill places up because the experience of that moment, there's nothing like being in a moment where God's being glorified and worship is taking place. And, and, and you can fill places up just with, with that. If you get the right people in. Uh, but, but if we're not desiring a daily life with Jesus, we're not really living biblical Christianity. Amen. And so we're going to be as practical as I possibly can be as we go through this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Let's look at these promises. So, so Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, but it's writing to us and the church of our day. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, Paul says, you also be open. And then he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's not talking about working and, and, and living and doing those things. That's talking about don't, don't be connecting your life to unbelievers. How many know there's a difference? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so to be unequally, not be unequally yoked. We, we, should, we should have an equal yoke with believers. We, we should have a desire to be around other believers. That's how we grow. Iron sharpens iron. So does a friend with his brother. But, but if we are more yoked together, to be yoked together, y'all know what to be yoked together is, right? Like a team of oxen is the picture there of that day. And there would be a yoke that would be placed over the backs of the team of oxen to keep them moving in the same direction. So Paul is saying here, you can't be equally yoked with non-believers, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you can't, you can't live that kind of life. You can't stay there. So he, he says to them, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Because light, how many realize light and darkness cannot exist in the same sphere? Because it's either going to be dark or it's going to be light. 
if it's dark, it's dark. But when light comes in, darkness should be driven away. And so this is not teaching that we're never to be around unbelievers. or, or uh, Hopefully all of us have friends that need Jesus, that we're trying to win to Jesus. It's not teaching against that. It's just saying, don't, don't yoke yourself to lawlessness, to unrighteousness, to unbelievers. Don't, don't live life as them, with them, like them, be different. Be light bearers. Be truth bearers. Be, be those that, that are people of Christ. And then find strength from yoking together with believers. I mean, no, how many of you understand there is strength when we come together as believers? That's what that's teaching there. So, for what law and, and what communion does light have with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? I mean, that's, this, is, this is strong stuff. No, you're not. Paul would write earlier on in this book, and, and chapter 3 would begin to write about, no, you're not, that you are the temple. Of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You are the temple of, of the Holy Spirit. And so, so what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. Now, watch this. As God has said, I will dwell in them. This is God saying this out of, out of Old Testament scripture. God, this is a quote here out of Ezekiel. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God they shall be my people. Four things. Don't you see these? It's, it's important that you get this. I will dwell in them. Somebody say it with me. I will dwell in them. Number one, God says, I will dwell in them. That's why we can't be unequally yoked. We, we can't link our life together with lawlessness and unbelief and, and, and sin. And, and all. We, can't, we can't enjoy that kind, of, that kind of connection because the promise from God is I will dwell in them. God says, I will dwell in them. And then he, and then he says, and walk among them. Say, walk among them. That's two. So God says, I will dwell in them. I will walk among you. I mean, God's walking with us. That's why the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, right? So when we come together, no wonder when two or three gather together, we can ask anything and it can be done for them because God who dwells in us is walking among us. So as we we focus our life on, on believers and walking together, not... not not ignoring the harvest, not ignoring the loss that we're trying to win, but not connecting life together, living life together like, like an unbeliever would live. That's, that's what this teaches. Is that, is that clear to you? But the promise is as you're together in faith, God says, I'll walk among you. Number three, he says, I will be their God. I will be their God. Amen. We have a world that God is not their God. Money could be their God or 
power could be their God or entertainment can be their God or, you know, and that's, that's the world. They're lost. Not, not picking on the world. I'm talking to the church tonight. But God says, if you'll walk this right way, if you'll walk in the way I'm teaching you, if you'll pursue what, what I'm telling you to pursue, then I will be your God. I will be your preeminent. I will be the one that, that the only one in your life that is above all. And fourth, and they shall be my people. I will be your God, God says, and you will be my people. Notice, does it say you will be my person? <laughs> you will be my people. There's a body, there's a group of people that are following after him, that he is our God and we are his people. Verse 17, therefore, and then he says, come out from among them, the lost, the world. Come out from among those that, that God is not their God that he is not walking among them. He, he's trying to reach them. He loves them, but they are not walking with him. They, 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 uh, he doesn't dwell in them. They've not invited him in. They're not asking him to walk with them. They don't want him to be their God. They, so then by their own desire, then they are not his people. So scripture says, then come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Be different. I mean, let me tell you this. We will never win the world by being, acting just like them. We're, we're trying that right now. The church of, of the day we're living in too often is trying that. We're, trying to, we're saying we're trying to win the world by acting and being just like the world. But that's not, guys, the simple fact of the matter is it's just not a biblical approach. He says, come out from among them, not hating them, not denying them, not shunning them and being holier than them and looking down your nose. It has nothing to do with that. This is talking about lifestyle. This is talking about belief systems, if you do not have a different belief system than a person that God is not their God, something is wrong. Amen. So he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Watch this. Remember the four I mentioned earlier. Now we add a fifth one to it and there's a reason I'm doing this. He says, if you will walk in the way I'm telling you to, I will receive you. How many want to be received by God? Amen. I, I will. Do you see a stipulation there? I'm not making this up. This is scripture. Do you see the stipulation in scripture? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Number six. I will be a father to you. Amen. How many know a father loves? Don't, don't get in your mind fathers that may be bad examples of this. Because that's, that's what people do. They may have had a bad upbringing. Maybe their father didn't love them or their father didn't treat them right. And so they see God as that kind of father. No, God is a perfect father. 
God is the father that every father should be. Amen. And he says, he says, if here's my promise to you, I will be a father to you. A father will love his children to the extent that he'll give his life for them in any way that he can. A father will chasten. He will discipline and train his child because he wants what's best for them. And you can put a mother in this same role. There, there's a difference in roles. Don't misunderstand me. But, but that father role, that parental role is a role of love. And in this case, God shows himself as the father. And, and the father that loves, but a father can also train and discipline and direct and protect. This is, this is how God intended this. And then, number seven, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Amen. That means not only will, will we recognize he's our father, but we need to understand what it means to be his son and daughter. There's, there's a blessing that comes with that. There's authority that comes with that. There, there is an ability that comes with that. When we recognize we, he's our God, he is our father, he receives us, he walks among us, amen. He, he's there on our behalf. He, he will be my God. I am his people, but more than being his, part of his people, I'm a son, you're a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We, we have authority. We have family rights, says the Lord Almighty. Now, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises. I just gave you seven promises that this scripture just tells us about. Seven promises preceding 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Therefore, having these promises from God, because that is direct quotes from God out of the, the old covenant that God has made now to those that are his, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So I noticed something there as I'm looking at this. I noticed he says, he says, and, and, and look at it, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of what? And what? See, here, here is an issue. When we do talk about holiness, oftentimes we focus on flesh. But it's deeper than flesh. It's flesh and spirit. Cleanse yourself from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Because our spirit is corrupted by sin until regenerated by Christ. And when regenerated by Christ, when made new in Christ, we have to continue to walk in a way that, that keeps his work alive in us. Amen. So, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I mean, how many take a bath at least once a week? Eh? You're cleansing yourself from the filthiness of the world that you've lived in. Right? 
I mean, that's what, what you should be doing. If you're a, you know, a, a young boy, you can take baths and not clean yourself from anything. You know, they, 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 just, they take baths and they never wash anything. You know, they just jump in right back out and they smell the same way when they got out as they did when they got in. But they didn't really take a bath. They didn't really cleanse themselves. Come on now. Now, I could preach right there. I'm really trying real hard not to because too often we are, we've got Christians they say, oh, I'm cleansing myself, but I think they're taking a bath like that, that, that young boy that doesn't want to take the bath, and they hop in and hop out, and they just smell the same way when they got out as they did when they got in. So cleanse yourself. So notice what he says, because this is important as we go down this road, and I'm doing all this for a reason. But notice the wording here. It, it's up there. Notice the wording here. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, what's it say? What's the next two words? Let who? Does it say, let God cleanse you? Let us cleanse what? Ourselves. So do you believe, just from Scripture, that you have a part to play in this process. Now God, now God is the only one that can cleanse us from sin through Christ, through the shed blood. We can't, we can't work ourselves to salvation. We can't make ourselves good enough for God. We can't do any of that. But as we have given our life to Christ and now we are alive in him, it behooves us to live in such a way that we are continually Cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. How many of you have cats? They're always cleaning themselves. And they're all because they get they don't like stuff on them, and so they're always licking it off of them and cleaning. I want to tell you, we need to understand we have a part now to play, and it's called Christian living. I know, this, I know this is not popular teaching because all we want to teach is Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Absolutely correct. There's no other way. Man cannot be saved otherwise. But after being saved, the way we live is important. Amen. Very important. Absolutely important. So important that, that, that we need to stress this over and over because the flesh lives in a filthy world. Amen? How many believe the world around us is a filthy world? I mean, turn your TV on. Go to Walmart. Get out of your house. We live in a filthy world, and it's getting more filthy every, every day. There is more filth coming out of our world every day. If, if some of our forefathers, if our grandparents and some of those could have lived to see this day, they, they, they couldn't even have imagined the filth of our day. 
You remember back when when those old timers used to used to preach against and teach against TV. People laughed at them because shows then seemed to just be just normal living. How many think by what we see now, they might have had some insight <laughs> that, that we didn't quite understand? Because I'm telling you, this world is a filthy world, and it'll get on your flesh. Amen. It says why discipline is important in the body of Christ. Because the filth of the world will attach itself to your flesh. And if you don't deal with it by cleansing your flesh, it'll attack your spirit. Amen? Because it'll attack your flesh, and then if it finds an avenue in through your flesh and you don't deal with it, and, and you're not cleansing yourself by the washing of the water of the Word, amen, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, then what has attacked your flesh will find entry points and will begin to attack your spirit. So it's imperative that we understand why would God say this? And then he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. So it doesn't, it's, it's not immediately that we are perfect. There's a process. And the process involves continuous cleansing. Amen. See, we've made this too often a negative message. It's not a negative message. It's actually the most positive message that we can share outside of salvation. Because in the Word, we are given tools whereby product whereby we can cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh that cannot get into our spirit and we can live in all of the promises of God. But, but, but the world has told us, and the church played into it at times, but the, everyone, now this is seen as, oh, that's just a negative message. You can't tell me what to do. No, and I'm not even trying to tell you what to do. But God does and should and has the right to. When my kids lived in my house, I had the right to tell them what to do. They didn't like it. Right? I even pulled that old card time or two. You're living in my house. You're going to live under my rules. Right? Because I'm not telling you what to do, but God gives us direction. And we've made this a negative thing, but the reasoning behind it we've left out, the reason behind the process of holiness and cleansing ourselves and keeping ourselves pure before God is so we can walk in all of the promises of God so that God can dwell among us, so that God can walk among us. He can dwell in us and walk walk among us so he can be our God and we can be his people. Amen. So, so that he can receive us when we come to him through Christ. He receives us. Mm. Amen. And he is our father and we are his children. 
So, so there's a purpose behind this that is positive. This is not a negative message. Somebody please hear that. We have been lied to. The enemy has lied to us, and then the church too often has preached our pet peeves and got up on our hobby horses and and preached the things we don't like rather than just staying in the Word of God. And the enemy then has twisted that and made this into this negative message that just the mention of holiness and sanctification and people start wanting to claw their eyes out and, and, and scratch their ears and run for cover because, oh no, the preacher is about to tell us something that we're doing is wrong. And that's this message is important because there are promises that God wants you to live in. God gives you these promises, but if we will not live our life for him, we cannot we we cannot walk in these promises. Hmm. So I'm I'm here on, on this Wednesday and the Wednesdays that are going to follow. And the reason I want to stay as much in the word as I possibly can is because I don't want anybody to walk away from here and just hear something that I said that I don't like. Because let me tell you, I'm very opinionated. And when it and when it comes to the things of God and the practice of the things of the word of God, I'm very opinionated. And believe me, I could stand up here and for weeks rail on things that I believe Christians shouldn't do. Amen. I could, I could do it. And I would be right. At least in my own eyes, right? But, but, but we would miss the purpose. And I probably would get a lot of amens because you probably would agree with me on 95% of what I would say. But I think the more important thing is not that, that we try to get approval or that, or that we try to get agreement. The most important thing is we hear what the word of God says and why is this so important? 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 7 and 8, two verses, says, 1 Thessalonians 4, if you're writing them down, verses 7 and 8, for God did not, somebody say did not, did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now, he was just talking about this idea of purity. We urge and exhort you that you would abound more and more. That's what this chapter is about. Do you know the commandments? This is the will of God, your sanctification. Abstain, he says, from sexual immorality. That's found in verse 3. That each of you would know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother. That's in the, that's in the same setting of Scripture as sexual immorality. God is an equal opportunity offense revealer. So in the very same scripture that talks against sexual immorality, and what is sexual immorality? It is any, somebody say any, any sexual activity 
outside of the marriage covenant of one man and one woman in the eyes of God. And anything beyond that's called sexual immorality. Amen? It's just the truth, guys, and, and the Lord wants us to walk in freedom. So he, he says that, and he says, learn to possess your own vessel, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles. They don't know God, so don't walk like that. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we forewarned you and testified. And then he said, for he did not call you to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, if you reject this, you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God's word. You can't reject God's word and then live in the promises of God's word. Amen. I just, I, this is burdened in my heart. First Thessalonians 2 and 12, if you'll go back just a couple of chapters. First Thessalonians 2 and verse number 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Well, pastor, I've been taught my whole life that the, I, can't, I can't be worthy. You can't for salvation. Nothing you do can make yourself worthy of salvation. It's only through Christ and the shed blood at Calvary. Nothing else. It's only, the, only his grace, only his mercy. But as a believer... You have now a choice, a life that you have to choose to walk worthy. Amen. Are y'all still alive? Are you still out there? Did I lose you right there? And it, it, verse 11, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. There it is. Would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So, so again, we have a part to play. We have to walk. Now, the way you're going to walk worthy is by walking in the spirit and walking in the word and walking by faith. But it's still, you're making that decision. You're choosing to allow God through Christ to walk through you. We don't hear this. We want a gospel that relieves us of all uh, culpability, accountability. We want a gospel that takes all the accountability off of us and puts it all on God and, and just says, well, God does it all. And I've even had people tell me if God didn't want me to do that, he'd just take it away from me. That's just not true. We have to walk worthy in the word. We have to discipline ourselves. We, amen. We have to die to our flesh daily. Hmm. Let's, let's keep going. And like I said, I'm just setting this up. I got, I got a lot on this. Time is it? My goodness. Y'all have, y'all have talked way too long tonight. First Corinthians three, verse 17. First Corinthians three, let's start at verse 16. Well, let's back up further than that. Let's go back to verse 10. First Corinthians three, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and then another will come and build on it. Paul's writing and he's saying, but others are going to come and build on this foundation of Christ. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. 
For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. No other way to the Father. That's, that's the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which we, he has built on the foundation of cross, Christ, if, if that work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. Right? So what you do after salvation... If, if it is good, the things of God, the word of God, you're living your life there, then when the fire comes, it will endure and you'll receive your reward for it. The promises of God, that blessing of God, the, the, the promises that he gave us. Okay? But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Amen. I mean, I, the, word, the word is strong for believers. The word for the lost is merciful, gracious people. You've probably heard this. People say, well, you know, Jesus, and I've said it, and it's true. When Jesus came, the lost flocked to him. When the woman that was caught in the issue of adultery, he, he, they were going to stone her, and Jesus stepped up, and, and they all dropped their rocks, and he said, where are your offenders and or your accusers? And she said, they're all gone, Lord. And he said, neither do I. And people say, see, Jesus, he just loved. And brought, Jesus was dealing, first of all, with unbelievers, and he was calling them to salvation. He was the way to life, and every person had to come through him. And so that he, But if you all notice, to the religious of his day, those that claimed to be God, Jesus was a whole different character. Amen. And people will say, yeah, those religious people, they deserve it. And I, but, to, but to us, we, we, just, we just want the love of Jesus. But then, see, Jesus brings you to salvation, and then now he's in you, and he's going to walk through you, and the Holy Spirit comes to correct and reprove and rebuke. <laughs> Amen. And, and Paul begins to write to these churches and he begins correcting and, and it's, it's the work now of Christ. And we, we've got it twisted. We, people want to take the words of Jesus and say, see, Jesus just taught on love and just taught on this. But we have to take the whole word in context because he is the word. And when he came to this earth, he came as Savior, seeking the lost. Right? Is that not how he came? He came as that sacrificial lamb. But when he rose up on the third day, that work was finished. 
And now you have to come to Christ through him. It's the same way for everyone. But now for the church that's now birthed out of him, empowered by the Spirit, there is correction and reproof and rebuke that we have to walk in in order to live the life that he wants for us. Amen. And again, it's positive. It's not negative. If we receive it, we're better off. I didn't like being disciplined when I was a child. Now, I grew up in a day where time out was not a thing. Right? Right? Time out was the time I spent after getting myself whooped and the time then that I could go do something else and feel comfortable doing it. That was my time out time. My seat would be on fire. Amen. I'm not saying right or wrong on that. I believe the Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. And I know one thing, they can't call me spoiled because I did, I, uh, the rod was not spared on me. Amen. I didn't like being disciplined. I thank God today that I had parents that loved me enough to discipline me. Amen. See, it's not a negative thing. It feels negative when you're going through it. Nobody likes to be reproved. Right? Have you ever done anything wrong on your job and your boss had to tell you about it? Right? Now, maybe, maybe like some, anytime that ever happened, you just quit and went off and tried to find another job. You won't be better off for that. You're better off to hear and respond and try to make a difference. Because it's better in the long run, okay? So as a believer, when it comes to things in our life, we're constantly going to have to be evaluating our life and, and, and entrusting ourselves unto the Lord. Because his ways are better than ours. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there, so don't get too worked up. I never even made it into my message. I'm still in my preview scriptures. Amen. This is vital. This is important stuff. I've gotten now, I've, I've done this long enough now that I can look at a message and I can look at how many scriptures I have in my message and I can kind of figure out my mind. I can think, okay, I'm not going to make it very far. Because the word of God's powerful. How many believe we need to live lives in pursuit of Holiness. Living the way God wants us to live. And let me say right up front, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are going to be perfect in this. We're all perfecting as we walk, as we grow. All of us are going to have to be, I, I have to be chastised every now and then by my father. Right? Because sadly, I still have a little bit of temper left in my flesh. And it wants to act out every now and then. And the Lord will chastise me, and sometimes he uses the voice of my wife. Right? To remind me that I'm getting outside of myself. But we are walking in this. We are, we are, we, we, this needs to be the desire of our heart. To live according to God's word. And to walk in purity. So we're just going to talk about what is it that we believe about this? What, what does this mean? And, and see what it is that God 
will say to us, get a hunger for holiness. I believe that was an old contemporary Christian song. Do I have anybody listened to contemporary Christian music back in the day? I think it was a Steve Camp song that says, I'm going to hunger for righteousness or holiness. But we need it today. And we need to walk it. And our world needs to see it. And let me tell you what our world needs right now more than anything else. Our world needs a church, believers that are pursuing a holy walk with God. The more we are pursuing a holy walk with God, the more loving and kind we'll be to the world around us. When we quit pursuing a holy walk with God, we'll get real mean and crass and hard with the world around us. So let's start with us first. Amen? Stand your feet. Pick up all my stuff that fell out of my Bible. So I hope you'll join me on this journey. I hope that I'm not the only one here next Wednesday night. Amen. (laughs) Uh, If so, at least tune in online maybe, and I'll see you on there. Let's see what God has in store. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that's found in your word. Make us hungry. Lord, I want to walk in your promises. And this day, I want to be one that the world sees that's different, that's walking in the promises and blessing of God. Father, not that life is always going to be comfortable. But Lord, no matter what life throws at us, when we're walking in your promises and your blessing, we can live at peace in you at all times. So teach us and give us a heart to pursue your word. We recognize we're not there yet. I recognize I've got far to go. My journey is just beginning. But Lord, my heart is to be pleasing to you in all ways. So Lord, I ask that you would help me, teach me through your word, teach all of us as we take this journey through your word, and let us fulfill this work of holy living that you call us to. Let us allow Christ, your son, our savior, to walk through us and the spirit to empower us and the word to lead us. And we ask it in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen and amen.